1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 167. Menage a Troy.
2: Hello, people and other people, and welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. What we do here is watch and analyze star trek from
0: the first part of the prologue to the closing credits looking for deeper meanings that we can apply to
2: our daily lives yes indeed and this week menage a troy quite possibly a disappointing title if you were reading that casually quite possibly a disappointment still hey hey now come on can't do that until we get to the end
0: oh no well
2: (laughs) and tell people you know
0: I I won't say another word to the rest of the show,
2: Cameron. Really? Wow. Wow. Seven-minute show. will not that be awesome? (laughs) That means I have to talk for another six and a half minutes. Never mind. Uh, Let me let people know uh, how they can get in touch with us, and then uh, we will let you do trivia, and then we will uh, dive as deep as we possibly can into this episode. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love that. You can give us a call, 323-522-5641. That number again is 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And speaking of comments... John. Speaking of comments, yeah, yes.
0: if you go to missionlogpodcast.com, dot com, um, we rebuilt the website uh, some months ago, and part of the feature that's there is that for every episode, for every document, for everything that goes up, there is a very rich and active comment section, and it, it just blows my mind the number of people who've been going there, talking to each other, and leaving really long and very interesting comments about the show mm-hmm. um so do check it out if you haven't uh you can sign up either through your facebook account or through twitter or through discus which is the engine that runs it if you don't want to have all of those sort of uh, platforms talk to each other uh but it's really great and it just pleases me to know when that i can go there and interact and um, see other people chatting with with each other so uh that is on missionlogpodcast.com
2: I'm curious, John, do they ever toss mm-hmm. trivia your way? Because I know you toss trivia all over the place. <laughs> oh, that's why you're the master of the segue. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty good on a hoverboard, too, except <clears throat> <Yeah. clears throat> please do the trivia thing, John. OK. Today's episode
0: of Minaj at Troy was written by Fred Bronson and Susan Sackett. Um, interesting Star Trek pedigrees here, Bronson, under his nom de plume John Culver, wrote the animated series episode The Counter Clock Incident. He was a publicist for NBC during most of the 70s and into the 80s, which is how he got connected to Star Trek and to Gene Roddenberry specifically. He introduced Susan Sackett to Gene around that time, and she later became his personal assistant. Now, as always, there are rewrites and rewrites and more rewrites. We have Melinda Snodgrass, Richard Manning, and Hans Bindler to thank there. And we should also mention that Gene Roddenberry himself had a hand in the script and the story development. Not a surprise, since he already knew the writers of this one well, and since Majel would be around for a great deal of the production. Now, we know that Gene Roddenberry was a pilot. And during the filming of this episode, he gave Will Wheaton his second lieutenant bars that he got from the Army Air Corps to commemorate Wesley's earning a rank. Coincidentally, the then chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Colin Powell, was visiting the set during production and for that very ceremony. So, Ken, what I'm trying to do here is paint a picture to say that this is a very busy set. You had a lot of Star Trek VIPs and outside VIPs visiting the set. Kind of a rarity for the show that had been chugging along without that kind of attention day in and day out. The show is directed by Robert Legato. Uh, This episode marks an auspicious occasion for him the first true directorial gig for Robert Legato. Now, he was and is incredibly experienced as a visual effects supervisor and coordinator, he was there from the beginning on The Next Generation, and he has worked on everything from Apollo 13 to Titanic to The Wolf of Wall Street, where he also has a second unit director credit. This is the first episode we will see him direct for The Next Generation, but not the last, and certainly not the last of his overall contributions to the franchise. Now, Ken, do I need to explain the title of this episode?
2: No, but I'm I, looking forward to having you do it anyway.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny because Rod will ask us every now and then, like, oh, can you put in a little thing about, you know, explaining the title <laughs> of an episode? And I actually got an email from somebody saying um, you didn't explain the title of The Most Toys, even though it's you know, a very well-known saying, and, and, he who dies with the most toys wins. And I got to
2: kind of take I got to kind of take on bridge with that, because we mm-hmm. began segment four because I saw that email. Yeah, we began segment four with me saying Toph wins. yeah because he has the most toys. Right. So I really thought we had actually kind of I mean though I though we didn't like, you know, set out explain, you know, here's a paragraph on why this means. I thought we had certainly implied.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But well, no, and now it, my my other favorite is, you know, the the immediate follow-up which was he who dies with the most toys dies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I'm a fan of that. Yeah, but anyway, you were about right. to explain to everybody the uh, the subtle nuance of the title a Troy."
0: Oh, I was about to. Well, <laughs> it's a riff. It's a riff on the French phrase menage a trois." Ah, and Ken, let's just yes, say that, yes. that, that that when a when a man when a man and a, a, woman, a woman really woman,
2: love another it, man it or, or really woman, they really love another yeah.
0: man or a woman, or or when a man loves a man who yeah. loves another man. Yeah, you
2: know, and, like, and let's be clear: love doesn't have to have anything to do with it.
0: Nope. All right. No, it doesn't at all. But uh, but what it does have to do with it is the number three.
2: You want to keep our uh, clean rating? Sure. Let's move on then.
0: Okay. The location scenes on Beta Z were the grounds of the Huntington Library, which also was used in the episode Justice. And uh, we have to give a shout out to the ship, the USS Bradbury, named, of course, after famed science fiction writer Ray Bradbury. We also have the first use of the word Cochrane as a unit of measure not just the name of a guy who is instrumental in the development of Warp Drive. And we have a reference to a drink, the Arcturian Fizz. The Arcturians were first mentioned in the original series, Conscience of the King. We actually got to see what they look like way in the background in Star Trek, the motion picture. A better view of them could be had from the Arcturian action figure made at the time of TMP. Guest stars. Now, of course, this week we welcome back Major Barrett Roddenberry as Voxana Troy, here along with Carol Stroykin as Mister Hum. We also have Frank Corsentino as Damon Tog. Uh, but we talked about Corsentino when he was Damon Bach in the season one episode, "The Battle." He'll come back as yet another Ferengi in another series. And oddly enough, Damon Bach will be back, though played by a different actor. Ethan Phillips as Dr. Farrick, one of the Ferengi. Ethan is from New York and was a regular on Benson for a good solid chunk of that show's run. Now, we will have far more time in the future to talk about Ethan, or as he is sometimes called by his nickname, Johnny. This is not his last time on Star Trek, not by a long shot. And he will be back for many more appearances, not the least of which is his major role on Voyager. In recent years, you've seen him on shows like Veep, Chuck, The Mentalist, Bones, and more. Rounding it out, our third Ferengi, Nibor is played here by Peter Marks, going under his birth name, Peter Slutsker. He made the rounds on TV in the 80s and the 90s, and this is his first of four Star Trek appearances, two more of which will be different Ferengi characters. His last known credit is for voice work on the video game Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. And finally, Ritan is played by Rudolf Wheelrich. Now, he has jumped around on the major soap operas from Another World to General Hospital to All My Children. In between, he has guest starred on shows like L.A. Law, The Equalizer, The Golden Girls, and Melrose Place. He will also be back for more Star Trek, making one more appearance each on Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. Oprah?
1: Umox. Umox. Um-ox. Oprah.
0: Prologue. In Tenth Forward Lounge, there is a tense gathering of guests, some of whom would rather not be there, after a trade conference on Beta Z. Deanna is grudgingly sitting at a table with her mother, Luoxana, whom Picard is completely avoiding. There are Ferengi around, and everyone seems to be avoiding them, except for Riker and Wesley, who are having a smug-off, while the first officer challenges one of the Ferengi to a game of 3D chess. Music plays, a kind of repetitive earworm of gongs played like a futuristic Blue Man Group track. One Ferengi, Damon Tog, is fully smitten with Loaxana. He approaches her with the boldest of propositions, that she become his, as in his property, and his secret weapon to use during business negotiations. She's repulsed at the idea, only spurring on Tog's advances, swearing that he will have her. Act 1. Later, the party is over. The delegates have gone home. Lwaxana is still on board, relaxing in her quarters when Diana drops by. They talk about how pushy that Ferengi was, and then Lwaxana lays into Diana about mother-daughter stuff. Why hasn't she taken a husband? How did she screw up her relationship with Commander Riker? It's a bit too much for Diana, who leaves in frustration. For a couple of empaths, there's a lot of pushing each other's buttons. Wesley is having a much better day. He's in Picard's ready room being gushed over for a job he did by Geordie LaForge and Data. Picard and Riker, after showing their moves in a synchronized dramatic tea drinking demonstration, praise the boy and congratulate him for passing the written exam to Starfleet Academy. There's an oral exam, but he's got that all but locked up. Looks like our little bird is getting ready to leave the nest. The Enterprise is heading out on a routine mapping mission, which means Deanna, and now Riker, at Picard's urging, can take shore leave right where they are on Beta Z. Yay. In a lush garden on Beta Z, Deanna spots her favorite flower, while Riker spots an opportunity to reconnect that old flame. Just as they go in for the kiss, Loxana and Mr. Hom show up with a picnic lunch. Loaxana completely mispronounces red kale, but offers it to Riker anyway, who graciously chokes down a bite or two. He turns the conversation to her personal life, still single, but she turns it back around to him and Deanna. The elder Troy is more concerned about her daughter settling down. Before things can get any more awkward, the irritating Ferengi Damon Tog just beams himself in uninvited. He's still got it bad for Loaxana. That courtship is very short. Tog beams himself, along with Waxana, Riker, and Deanna back to his ship. Act 2. Waking up in the brig of a Ferengi ship, the three prisoners are fine if a little groggy. Damon Tog wastes no time beaming the two women out of their clothes directly to his bridge. Transporters can really do anything, right? Tog explains himself again. He wants Waxana as a business partner lover, and secret weapon. What's in it for her? Well, he won't harm Diana as long as she complies. Waxana sees an opportunity to buy some time, and she communicated telepathically to her daughter that she'll try to work on Damon Tog. Away Diana goes back to the holding cell with Riker, and Tog breaks up the negotiating bed. No one on the Enterprise knows what's going on with the Ferengi yet. Of course, where they're headed, communications will be disrupted. Wesley is mulling over his future. Jordy and Data kind of clue him in that once he goes to the Academy, he may not be coming back to the Enterprise. Things change. Life presents new adventures and new challenges. Wesley may not be ready for that. In the Ferengi Brig, Riker watches as two of his captors play 3D chess. He taunts them a little about their bad moves until one of them takes the bait. Seriously, Riker is about to try to fizzbin his way out of this. While Oaxana is still using the tactic of diversion with Damon Togg, she barely chokes out the words that she found him hard to resist, which gives Tog the invitation he needs to lock lips with Mrs. Troy. Sadly, the telepathic connection means that Deanna can feel exactly what's going on. Act 3. Riker has added a little subtlety and improved upon what Kirk started. He's in a losing position in his chess game, but feigns tiredness. The Ferengi doesn't want to end the game now, though. How could he? He lets Riker out of the cell so he can finish the game and, well, you probably know what happens next. With the Ferengi on the floor, Deanna and Riker set about contacting the Enterprise, but they can't without Damon Tog's access code. Waxana is in the perfect position to extract just that kind of information from him. He's eating out of her hands after a little umox, or the art of Ferengi ear rubbing. Cut to the Enterprise, which has completed its mission of presenting the awe and wonder of a nebula to its crew. Now back in communications range, an urgent message comes from Beta Zed. Commander Riker, Deanna, and her mother are all missing. Oh, they're trying to get out, all right. Lwaxana is tempting Tog with a cocktail, an Arcturian fizz, but she'll need his password for the computer. It is not, as one might have thought, password123, and just as he recites it, the Ferengi Dr. Farrick runs in to stop him. Dude, you are being played so hard right now, and you don't even know it. Tog can't believe it, but Farrick makes a pretty good argument. You see, a true daemon wouldn't be blinded by his lust, and, you know, Dr. Farrick could report this to Tog's superior. Case closed. Farrick takes Loaxana off to his examination room. A mind probe might reveal the Betazoid power of telepathy, making this a rather gruesome scientific experiment. Act 4. On Z. information about the missing people is hard to come by, but there is one clue left behind. A bouquet of flowers brought by Damon Tog to woo Loaxana. Those flowers are from a Ferengi world, not indigenous to Z. So at least that's something to go on. Riker is doing what he can, even though he doesn't have TOG's access code. He's going to tech the tech to get a message out somehow, basically lay in a Morse code underneath all the subspace noise the Feringi ship generates. He better hurry, because Loxana is in Dr. Ferrick's examination chair. She need not ask if she is expected to talk. On the Enterprise, scans for Feringi communications have turned up a garbled mess. They encode all of their communications, as they should, but they are nearly impossible for the Federation to break. Wesley thinks he hears something, but it's no matter. The USS Bradbury is there, ready to take him away to Starfleet Academy, and we mean now, mister. He heads to the transporter room where he is met by his mother to say goodbye and hand him the one small hard plastic piece of luggage he'll need for the next few years of his training. On the pad, the light bulb goes off. Not the one that makes you dematerialize, but the figurative one above Wesley's head. He knows what he heard. It wasn't the encoded transmission that contained the signal. It was the static itself. Act 5. Wesley just missed his ride, but he's got important information. He goes back to the bridge to hear a replay of that static. There is a pattern in it. Oddly enough, it sounds like the music being played during the opening of this week's show. It's just the clue they needed. A course is set, and the Enterprise is on its way to find the Ferengi ship. Loaxana is suffering, but Riker and Diana have found their way to her, Riker firing a phaser toward the Doctor. Before much can be done, though, Damon Tog comes in with his own weapon aimed at them. Loaxana is ready to bargain. She'll stay on board willingly, as long as Tog lets Riker and Diana go. He agrees, much to the concern of the other two, but just as that happens... The enterprise comes into range. Riker and Diana are released and beamed aboard, but Loaxana has stayed behind according to their agreement. Diana explains to Picard that she doesn't want to stay there, but she bargained with her own freedom when the two commanders talk. Loaxana chimes in that she wants Picard to forget his own infatuation with her. It's a ruse. Diana confides to Picard that she wants him to fight for her, so he does. He makes the most bizarre word salad out of Shakespeare's sonnets to woo her while this riles up Tog's jealousy. Picard even goes so far as to say that he would kill anyone who gets in the way of Loxana, and the Enterprise's weapons are aimed. Tog backs down, and Lwaxana is beamed back to the Enterprise. Picard can't get her back to Beta Z soon enough. In his ready room, Picard sees Wesley Crusher again. Yeah, it's... Too bad he missed his chance to take the oral exam and probably end up at the Academy. But in the meantime, young Mr. Crusher has contributed much to the crew of the Enterprise. He is as much a part of the crew as anyone else. Gone are the days of rainbow sweaters and gray pants with tail fins on them. Picard grants him a promotion to full ensign. The end.
2: That was a great moment.
0: Wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I've got that in a note there, just, I mean, with no other uh, mention of it, but just to say that it was terrific, it was touching, um, it played out exactly right.
2: Yeah, it did. And and Patrick Stewart uh, is just, he's just awesome, even if he has nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, (laughs) he has almost nothing (laughs) to do. When he goes nuts at the end, what you called word salad... That was a tremendous amount of fun. And once again, I don't think you have this in your notes, actually. Uh, we get another one of our internet memes. Oh, right. Yeah, where he's standing yeah, there yeah, and sort yeah. of tilting his head yeah. and his arm is outstretched. And that's one right, of the right. things you'll often see. Um, yeah, so so good job on Patrick Stewart. And now yeah, let's yeah. take the rest of it apart. <laughs> uh, the Ferengi is absolutely correct. The Algolian uh, ceremonial rhythms are annoying. as uh, They're worse than, than uh, marimba.
0: Well, oh, the come default
2: on. iTunes, mean, uh, the default iPhone Ring, rather?
0: No. <laughs> they, they're worse than that. No, I didn't think it was that bad. Now, I, I thought, I, I thought it was much worse than that.
2: Really? Because I felt like I was in there for a couple of hours when that was playing.
0: <laughs> I didn't think it was quite that bad. Okay. But, well, uh, but you know, we, but they were really making sure that you got beat over the head with it. Because they were you know, indeed. It's going to come back.
2: Yeah, especially when, when Crusher's like, ah, that's the Algolian ceremonial rhythms.
0: Mm-hmm. I love okay. that, man. It's dope.
2: Sorry. <laughs> Just, uh, anyway, I'm bad.
0: Should, should we feel bad that the Ferengi are getting a bad rap? I mean, they do participate in kidnapping and all oh. kinds of
2: immoral activities.
0: But yeah. it will be literally from the beginning. Yeah. It's all anyone can talk about.
2: Yeah, we're coming back to that.
0: Okay, yeah. good.
2: Yes. The <laughs> short answer to your question is yes. The long yes. answer is coming up in a few minutes. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Hey, how about, uh, how about Picard? Man, the set on this guy, right? Loxana okay. is a telepath. Mm-hmm. And he lies to her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) he will just flat out lie. He's like, oh, I don't have time to talk to you. I was about to show this guy uh, this thing. Okay, first of all, you don't have to be a telepath to know that he's lying. But second, he's lying to a telepath. Yeah. Does she just not do it with him? And by do it, I mean read his (laughs) mind.
0: Well... um... Yeah, I, I thought maybe for a moment that either it was such a short amount of time with him or that maybe she's so blinded by his, her obsession with him. Yes. That, or maybe he's just so practiced at it that, that maybe even if he's lying, he's still he's so focused on that lie mm. that, that it seems real. All right. <laughs> now, I thought in the scene with uh, Deanna and Waxana, she made a really good case for her relationship status with Riker, she's happy. She loves her job. She and Riker are good friends. So, is it just that Riker literally has no idea how to interact with a woman when he's on an idyllic garden planet, than to start making out with her?
2: Oh no, she was all she was there for that. Come on, that, yeah, but I.
0: Hi, she was okay.
2: absolutely there for that. They were flirting. They were holding hands when they were walking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was obvious. I mean, we we know that there's something between them. And we also know we've talked repeatedly in Star Trek about how sometimes sex is just a thing. She may sure. not be in love with him even when they go in for the kiss. But I got the sense that they were both going in for the kiss.
0: Oh, interesting. This right.
2: wasn't like, you know, the, when Riker met Lal in like 30 seconds in, he's like, so you and me, I mean, how are you? What did I right. say?
1: Right, right, <laughs> you know right. What I right. Mean?
2: Um yeah. I, I do have a, I, I do I, I I have to call out the sexism in this episode. Okay. It comes from a bad guy, so it's fine, but I just felt mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, if you say something sexist, then you have to mention it. Uh, <sighs> you must be aware that every female has her price, says Damon Tog. And I know he's our bad guy, and so yeah. it's it's okay, but you know, I felt like if, to let it pass, somebody, you know, might say, "Hey, you let that pass."
0: Well, the ferengi among all of their terrible personality attributes.
2: They're <laughs> they, horribly sexist.
0: They are horribly sexist. They are, yeah. And that, that partly drives home. I mean, the thing about uh, they don't deserve the honor of clothing. Yes. Um, which, okay, yeah, we're playing that for laughs. But, yeah, it also reveals something horrible about the Ferengi. Something horrible
2: about the Ferengi, yes. There are yeah. many horrible things about them, to be sure.
0: Speaking of clothing, yeah. um, boy, on shore leave on Beta Z Riker, he's wearing, uh, he's got a, it's, it's he's wearing a thing
2: yeah i, I really you know <laughs> it's like the looser version of the green thing that uh, that kirk used to wear isn't it
0: it's looser it's puffier it's billowy <laughs> and here's the thing it, it it billows at the front and the back which yeah. is very interesting yeah and when he turns to that profile shot going in for the kiss you just go
2: wow some somebody in wardrobe said <laughs> that looks good <laughs> <laughs> here's a question uh, though mm-hmm. uh, what is deanna wearing Every time she came on screen, I got "dance to the Sugar Palm Fairy stuck in my head. And I think we've actually seen something similar to that. I want to say the scene uh, when she and Beverly were working out. Yeah, She might have been wearing something similar. I don't think it was the exact same outfit, but something similar. (laughs) Yeah. But this was more ghastly.
0: It's very straight. Uh, So we've made no secret about the fact that Marina Sirtis is a very attractive woman. Yes, she is. and, And it shouldn't be difficult to dress her for this show
2: and yet
0: (laughs) yet, they just come up with occasionally they found difficulty yeah yeah
2: Yeah. the blue the blue dress the long blue dress that's always going to be the one for me that or when she goes when she goes into uniform oh sure yeah but this is just this is just
0: well at least they both kind of suffered the indignity this episode of having weird weird looking costumes
2: i guess although hers was so offensive to me i barely noticed what you were talking about with rikers
0: Okay, we'll right. go back and watch it,
2: oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh, man, sorry, should we just skip uh, to the end? I think you suggested that earlier, didn't you no i I don't think we can We're All on right. roll now yeah, yeah, um, let's, let's keep going
0: uh Mr. Hom, Mr. Hom is useless mm-hmm. uh, I
2: love that no, that he's, he's good at lifting up. things and picking berries
0: y- yeah, he can pick berries, yeah, uh, apparently, it takes him a long time to pick berries, <laughs> um. And it, Which is surprising. His eyesight uh, must be terrible because he's literally like five feet away from four people just beamed up. And he's literally walking toward where they are beaming up. Yeah. He just walks into frame
2: at the end of Act One. He was looking down at the berries he just picked. Oh, sure. Yeah. He he loves those berries. I got to say, uh, yeah. Ferengi, I, I think – so we talked about something terrible about the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about something great. Mm-hmm. They're like – they're the tech masters. Right. Mm. I mean, so you mentioned they can actually beam people out of their clothing. OK, uh-huh. that's impressive. I don't think uh, uh, the Federation transporters can do that. Oh, oh, oh I, I don't believe that they can't. Yeah. What? <laughs> I just we just haven't seen it yet. OK. All right. No,
0: I'm not saying that we will see it. I'm just saying that maybe people have the good sense of not doing that. But look, if they can disarm a weapon in mid transport. Yeah. I'm sure that Chief O'Brien, if he'd had a rough day and he would Maybe. I'm going to have some fun.
2: Maybe I okay. don't know. So, they, but but they can also like beam people straight to the bridge without knowing exactly where the bridge is, which we've all been, always been given to believe is kind of a difficult thing,
0: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, Damon Tug finds um, Loxana on a whole planet, mm. right? Now maybe he like called somebody. Maybe he called information. Maybe he called <laughs> Beta Z information. Said so. Wait, I think it's at this address. Oh, it's that address. Okay, thank you very much. Right. Uh, but he's able to find the 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 person that he's looking for on a planet full of people, theoretically. And Jordy also says that Perengi codes are damn near impossible to break. Yeah, I mean we're we're sort of given to to believe that these guys are sort of bumbling, you know, idiots half the time. And, well, and, yet, and yet their technologies, uh, I would say it rivals, and, and their ship can go almost as fast as the Enterprise, yeah, which is yeah. the flagship of the Federation, or the flagship of Starfleet.
0: Well, they're kind of bumbling idiots, but they're certainly better off than the pack led. Yeah, old friends, sure. You know? and, and I figure maybe it's a <laughs> That's a low bar dude. I know, right. Like, that, that's
2: what you're going to compare them to?
0: Well, no, but the reason I mentioned the Paclids is because the, the Paclids acquire everything that they use. They mm-hmm. may not understand it, but they acquire everything that they use. And the Ferengi have got two things going for them, mm. uh, which is that they are inveterate traders. Everything that they do is set up for the next deal to get the next best thing, right? Right. And clearly they have a, a kind of commerce, you know, they, they have a, a, a kind of... Culture that that forces this kind of thing. So maybe you look at um, uh, look at parallels on Earth, where you've got business essentially driving innovation. Ferengi are all about business. Their business is acquiring and trading and getting one up on the other guy. Yeah. So if that is their driving force, then it makes sense that they would have the technology to go along with it. Right. Um, but it is impressive that it is that far advanced.
2: Yeah, it's it's great. I'm just saying, maybe they should maybe they should think about not being jerks and just sell their technology.
0: <laughs> right. Well, maybe maybe they do well like that. Yeah. Yeah. You asked me earlier if uh, we should keep this the clean show. Yes. Keep our clean rating, but I do have kind of a pressing question here because I I kept wondering after the second or third time watching this. And you go back to the clever kind of edits and the clever cuts, and we're going to start a scene here, and then we'll we'll start a scene with Damon Tog and Waxana, then we'll cut away to the jail cell with uh, Riker and Deanna. Did Waxana have sex with Tog to buy them some time? Now, we saw the Umox scene, and that was funny, and, and it introduces a thing about the Ferengi. But... I think we are led to believe it's not the negotiating table. It's the negotiating bed that he yep. rolls out right at the beginning. Right, And she keeps saying to Diana telepathically, like, hang on, I'm, I'm working on this. I, I've got this handled. I'm going to buy you some time, basically. Yeah. And I, I wonder how much we are supposed to simply infer from what we see there. And by the way, the, the Umox thing, I, I was going to say that if she only did do UMACS, with Damon Tog. Um, and that is sex to a Ferengi, but it's not sex to someone else because she's just like, wow, look at this weird guy with big ears. Then did sex actually happen?
2: Uh, well, as far as he's concerned, apparently. Okay. Because once he tells her, you know, uh, uh, never had such umox and he's and she's like, eh. <laughs> and yeah, says, right. oh, I, okay. you're playing with my ears. That's that's like it, you know, and she keeps doing it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything to her. Again, sex is just a thing, especially when it's not actually sex, apparently, as far as she's concerned. As far as did they get more intimate than that, though, this is largely a comedy episode. And comedy uh, Star Trek episodes are really simple for Mm -hmm. the most part. So, no, I, I, I didn't get even a moment's inference that anything more happened than what we saw happen with the, you know, with the playing with the ears thing.
0: I, I didn't the first time, okay. but when I went back and rewatched it a couple of times, I, I felt like they, I, I felt like they left the door more open for that inference. okay. And I wondered again, if it's just like writers, producers, etc., going with this idea of, well, okay, we're Star Trek, it's the future. We can kind of push the envelope and, and get that element of sexuality in there. I think it gets overshadowed by the Umak scene, which yeah. is good.
2: I'll tell you this. If they did, then she's not mm-hmm. very good. <laughs> because right, yeah, Tog yeah. turned her over in like 20 seconds. Yeah. Like the doctor comes in. He's like, hey, you're dumb. Let me cut into her brain. And he's like, yeah, fine. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> it's pretty much it. Yeah. There was no fight or anything or very little anyway. Now, granted, of course, he, he did he did run the risk of losing his position as Daemon of the uh, – whatever the ship was. But – Mm -hmm. yeah he just he just rolled over on that really fast he did he
0: did um and and actually funny right before that scene when when Damon Tog turns Loxana over and and Deanna Deanna says to Picard I think I know what she's doing when Loxana uh, uh, says you know you'll you'll have to fight for me yeah essentially Deanna says I think I know what she's doing well they're telepaths and this is the one moment in the show that Luxana didn't just say to Diana what she is doing and what she's thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Which would have been very easy to do.
2: Yeah, that's true. Although maybe yeah. you know maybe the distance makes it difficult to do the word for word telepathy. Mhm. Yeah, you know, maybe mm-hmm. she can only do like the sort of sensing thing, but yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of a kind of a weak line. Yeah, got to yeah. say there was one of the thing in that in that uh in that scene. I really miss the old uh, Ferengi mode of communication. Remember the extreme close-ups we used to get when the
1: Ferengi... Yes! Would? Yeah, I, was,
2: I miss yes. that. Oh, I know yeah. we, we need it to not be that, because we have to see Loxana sit down next to Damon Tog. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be funny, though, actually, if it were his great big giant face, and then you know she had to like come into the frame as well, so then it's both their giant faces. <laughs> cheek to cheek or cheek to ear, I guess. Oh, that would have been You know, great. right yeah. there, just a great big 10-foot-tall head staring at the bridge.
1: Filthy, freaking, Ferengi play a significant part in this episode. Those guys are simply terrible. Am I right?
2: So you mentioned earlier you're not sure if the Ferengi are getting a fair shake. Um, I will say not since uh, LQ Sonny Clemens... And his good friend, uh, Ralph Offenhouse, and and, well? and their, their, their lovely friend, Claire, mm-hmm. uh, showed up.
0: I believe uh, him in the insufferable Claire Raymond.
2: Well, lovely, insufferable, you say tomato, I say, let's press on. Um, I'm really bothered, not since they appeared, excuse me, on the bridge, has somebody been treated as disdainfully, like right from the start, as the Frankie were in this episode. And I gotta say, I'm really bothered by the immediate and outright disdain... Of the Ferengi, they are at this negotiating table. They're hearing this whole thing, and nobody's terribly comfortable with them. But I mean, they're they're just awful, derisive comments. Now I understand they're the bad guys, and they're not the they're not the scary bad guys they were supposed to be in season one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But they're still supposed to be in, they're supposed to be terrible, insufferable, as as one might say, Claire was. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they they so they 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 get beamed up from the planet. And and they're unconscious. And How that happened, we don't know. But okay, see that's how good Ferengi technology is. They, yeah. They're like they're, they're conscious when they start to beam up. They're unconscious by the time they get there. I found active people, but I've disabled them, and so we'll lay them down. <laughs> in the thing um, they wake up and and Deanna's like, "Where are we?" And Riker says, "From the smell of it, I would say a Ferengi ship, mm-hmm. dude." Mm-hmm. I just I I'm I'm bothered by. Well, I'm bothered by it. I'm bothered by it. And, and, you know, we're not talking about a real race. I know there are no real Ferengi, but let's go ahead and apply this to our daily lives, right? Yeah. As we're supposed to do. What do the Ferengi stand in for? Oh, something different. Something you don't really like so much. Mm -hmm. But even then, we're not going to treat them, like, with trepidation. We're not going to treat them with respect but concern. We're not going to trust but verify. We're just (laughs) going to call them names and make fun of their intelligence and make fun of the fact that they smell and if – One of them even tries to say anything nice to us. We're going to, you know, roll our eyes and walk away. And of course, he went quickly from saying something nice to saying something horrible.
0: Right, right.
2: But I was just, I was just kind of, I was kind of bothered that we're not showing, we're not presenting our best selves, even though they're not necessarily anything we'd want to be involved with.
0: I feel like if this were season one, Picard. Again, like, he's the guy who would just put the kibosh on this right away. Just like, there will be no making fun of the guests, there will be no, you know, that would have been that guy. But now it's just like, oh, these guys again. Yeah. Which does raise an interesting question. If you've been pushed around and antagonized by Ferengi long enough, how often do you keep giving them the benefit of the doubt? Um, And sometimes Star Trek is willing to give everybody the benefit of the doubt all the time but other times like when it comes to these ferengi they're just immediately cast
2: aside no cast aside would actually be more respectful Mm, okay honestly i mean i'm 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 bothered by the disdain i'm bothered by the it's and i guess it's not really a big deal because generally speaking it's not the case and and i mean this is this is a black and white episode the ferengi are bad the ferengi are always bad Nothing is going to change that, at least for the foreseeable future. As far as we know, <laughs> there's not going to be a time where we're like, "Oh, that Ferengi is not so bad." Um, as far as we know, right now. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, to, to I mean, I don't know. Uh, they're they're obviously just an easy foil. The problem that I have is that we're looking for an easy foil. We, as the 24th century representations of ourselves, are looking sure. for somebody that we can still say, "Yeah," but you know, come on, it's them. So let's say, derogatory things about them as a race. Yeah,
0: right, right, right. Now That's what it feels like. Well, let's uh, move on from that. Um, I, I I was interested in Deanna's conversation with uh, Lwaxana at the beginning. She has that Riker thing where work is her life and her work makes her happy. At the very least, that's what she's telling her mother yeah. um, to get her off her back. And that seems to be a thing for people who choose a life in Starfleet, or at least on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And it does still worry me a little bit that if you take that to its logical conclusion what happens when these people have to go someplace else what what happens when there's mandatory retirement or transfer to other duties we hint at that with Wesley having to go away it just hasn't even occurred to him that he doesn't get to come back to the same ship with the same people and it just goes on from there what happens if the mission is cancelled on account of weather you know too bad? If there's something wrong with wrapping up all of our, here's the word, our happiness in our job, even when it's really convenient to do so, the Enterprise is a very comfortable ship full of very nice people. Mm-hmm. You've got a holodeck you can go to that um, apparently you can do anything in and maybe people will barge in on you, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I wondered about, because I I thought there was a subtext of just I'm going to say whatever it takes to get you to leave me alone Mm -hmm. Um, but I also wondered if she is exactly on the same page as Riker and then are they on the same page as a lot of other people who are on that ship where that is their life work is their life and what do we do now if we don't have a ship to call home and a crew to call our family (laughs)
2: Well, I mean, that's mm, – she has no responsibility to anyone, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has a responsibility uh, to herself to do For what it job. is that she wants to do. Well, I mean, yeah. no, but I mean, it, it, she it chooses – her responsibility to herself is to be happy. What's going to make her happy is to throw herself into her work. Now, sure. she also does work that helps people. It's not just like, you know, she's not like you and me peeling potatoes down on, you know, level whatever on the enterprise. Right, right. Uh, she's not bossing people around like a James T. Kirk or a Jean-Luc Picard. I mean, she's actually choosing something that is helping people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm not saying those others aren't helping people, but that is actually her job is to help yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not like, I mean, like Riker's dad. Riker's dad was always off doing something. And Riker's dad had arguably a responsibility to his son. Because he, you know, created a son. <laughs> <And> <laughs> right, so you would think that he might have like, you know, actually shown up for him from time to time. Which he uh, which he doesn't necessarily. So I I don't worry so much about what happens to Deanna if she's if she's all wrapped up in work and suddenly she doesn't have work because one assumes that she'll be able to find something else to do at that point. If if she's all wrapped up in a man, if she's all wrapped up in another person, as opposed to being wrapped up in what she does, um, I mean, obviously, ideally, you wouldn't want all of your happiness to hinge on any one thing, right? No, of
0: course. Yeah, and and that's – it's not about uh, whether or not Deanna or Riker or anybody has a right to find satisfaction and happiness in their work. Mm -hmm. It's just that this is a very strange environment where you are on this ship that is your entire life for the the days, months, years that you are on that ship. Right. but then literally that can be taken away from you at any minute <laughs> you know you may be sent back to well you may be transferred to another ship or a captain yeah. card may no longer be the captain of that ship and actually what i loved about this was that her story paralleled wesley's story in that respect it, it it's subtle it wasn't you know a direct parallel but it was very effective the idea that wesley is facing this idea of well everything that i know everything that makes me happy is right here. Mm -hmm. And, and that is the job and the people who, uh, well, certainly one family member, but the other kind of adopted family that he has. Um, and I, I think you can make kind of, uh, uh, an interesting, we, we touch on this again in a little bit, but like a parallel to Riker's story, um, with turning down, uh, captaincy of another ship. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, Wesley is faced with this idea of, um, oh, well, if I've got everything sort of wrapped up here, what does life become when it's not this sort of neat little bundle where it is a ship, you know, safe confines, generally safe. <laughs> and, you know, with people who, uh, who I like and who are looking out for me and I know exactly what I'm supposed to do from sunup to sundown every day.
2: Yeah, with Wes, it's actually a little bit different because he really is leaving home. Oh, sure. He's been raised. Well, he hasn't been raised on this ship. But for the past three years, I mean, there's certainly formative years of his life that he's spent Mm -hmm. on the ship. And he's going to have to leave home and find something else. Uh, Diana has left home and has found what she wants to do. And so I would say uh, I didn't see the parallel that you're talking about. I mean, you draw draw it and I can sort of Mm -hmm. see it. But I don't see them as, as completely analogous. Mm, I don't think. Yep. Um, I will say I can't stand the relationship between Loxana and Deanna. Oh, sure. Um, it's awful. It's ghastly. <laughs> if this were a sitcom, uh, I would still hate that. Uh, hate that. But I'd at least be a little bit more forgiving because it's a sitcom. And I said earlier, you know, this is a comedy episode of Star Trek and comedy episodes often don't work. Uh, yeah. This is a relationship that would be perfect for a sitcom that I would not bother watching. Um uh, I don't know I just uh. <laughs> yeah. no it, you, you've and, it and and yeah. now that their relationship is on a show that we have to examine, i hate I hate their relationship even more. um, I like my mom, I love my mom, I, but yeah. I like my mom, right mm-hmm. uh, I love my dad, usually like my dad uh, there yeah. have been times in my life where I did not like my dad, so mm-hmm. when that happened, we didn't talk, and I'm not saying so, kids, listen up. Um, I mean, the thing is, I wasn't being vindictive with my dad and I wasn't trying to punish my dad. I wasn't trying to hold anything from my dad. It's just I, you know, I got tired of being a 20 something year old guy uh, hearing from a guy who left when I was two, how I should live my life. Mm, mm -hmm. So, uh, so I did not feel obligated because did I mention he left when I was two? He, he absolved himself of whatever obligations he felt he had to me a long time ago. And so I felt like he, you know, I kind of, <laughs> by virtue of that fact, so did I. So I don't know why Loxana and Deanna keep getting together and talking, because they don't seem to have any respect for each other. She has this, like, obligation as a daughter that, that I don't see Loxana uh, honoring in any way. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so anything else that might come of their relationship, anything else that we might learn from this relationship, I'm just frustrated that Deanna, who is supposed to be the person telling everybody else, you know what would be healthy for you to do, keeps <laughs> throwing herself under this train that is her mother repeatedly. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out if that, if that's a good thing to take away or a bad thing to take away. Now, I will say... I don't think this episode asks you for a second to actually analyze their relationship.
0: No, no, not at all. But because
2: no. we are analyzing every episode, we have to go into it. And and their relationship, there's no part of their relationship that works for me at all.
0: Well, no, I mean that that's uh, yeah. I mean just to clarify, I mean what you're saying is the mission of our show. People people say that Star Trek is important, mm-hmm. therefore we will treat Star Trek as if it is important and mm-hmm. seriously. And well. Sometimes this is what
2: you get, you know, I mean, mean, but I mean, this is true of any uh, any sitcom relationship. And I have to Mm -hmm. treat this episode like a sitcom. If there's a Mm -hmm. sitcom like the whole point of the show, Married with Children, was the fact that these people hated each other. Right. Yeah. What I can't stand is when you see a sitcom where the loving couple is supposed to love each other. But for 21 of the 22 minutes, they're arguing with each other and they're bickering with each other. But it's going to end with a hug. I don't know what the point of that is. And those tend to not be the sitcoms that I like so much. As much great comedy as there was in The Honeymooners, they should have divorced like about a week and a half after they got (laughs) married. And that's true of both, you know, um, uh, Norton and Trixie (laughs) (laughs) and also uh, Ralph and Alice. Um, So, I mean, so. So, yeah. Sorry, I, I don't. You were saying something, I interrupted, I apologize. No,
0: no, no, that, that's uh, not at all. I mean, the, you, you summed up uh, exactly. Um, even if it's not a sitcom, I mean, you, you kind of see these bad archetypes played out in commercials where it, it's sort of, you know, shorthand for the the annoying spouse or the overbearing parent or, or whatever it is. And, right. and they are just um, – but you gotta love them. Well, no,
1: you don't. I <laughs> no, mean, you that's don't. the thing. No, no you, you don't.
2: don't. I mean, you're actually free to not. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I, I sort of hate when, whenever we're presented with a relationship, it's like, yeah, but what are you going to do? Well, take care of my mental health.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm going to go on yeah, a limb and right. say what I'm going to do is is not you know feed myself to this thing. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: exactly. Good times. Well, <laughs> I mean, we we have before. Yeah, probably will continue to spend some time criticizing Loaxana Troy. And I mean that as critically, not not just, you know, poking fun at Um, the thing that I do find intriguing about her is is the central tragedy of her character. Mm -hmm. There are all these awful things that she plays out uh, to all the people around her. She's someone who I, I think is overcompensating for. Everything for literally everything in her life. She's too involved in other people's affairs. She's too invested in her daughter's personal life. She's grasping at the idea of status from outside sources like her title on Beta Z or the kind of husband she has or had. Mm -hmm. Everything is this surface show you know it's like real housewives of beta z you know it's something that's completely <laughs> repulsive and <laughs> and um and materialistic and on the on the surface because deep down there is something horribly broken about this person now if this were a different show we might get a side of that and we might then develop some sympathy for that character mm-hmm. um but This is not that show, at least not
2: yet. And (laughs) and I'm hoping, and I honestly don't remember, so Mm -hmm. um, this is not me being coy and saying, gee, I wonder if we'll ever make friends with the Ferengi. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm hoping that we actually do get more from her character at some point, because right now it it feels like just 48 minutes of, well, 47 minutes of torture (laughs) that ends with a hug every time, every time this character is here. And I want... I want something different from that. Or I want the episode where Deanna's like, no, 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 no. I'll be, I'll be on the holodeck. Let me know when she's off the ship. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. and, you know, right. Like that time that, uh, like that time Picard went and hit on the holodeck. Yeah. I want Deanna to do that next time Loxana's around. It's totally her right to do so. Yeah. I think so. And somebody, and some, she needs to see a counselor.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You know, well, well, that is kind of the interesting thing, you know, uh, the kind of this old joke that people who go into, uh, therapies uh, or professions of uh, psychology and psychiatry maybe they're trying to work out their own issues
2: not always the case
0: i know it's not always the case yeah but um let us do talk about wesley's motivation a little bit okay to, to save the day but also stay behind yep um and even though, you know, it's not like the ship that he's on or the other ship doesn't have warp drive or or say a transporter or something that could get him to another ship or another location very quickly. It's not like that doesn't exist in this universe. Well,
2: you know, it's an oral exam. Mm -hmm. They have subspace communications.
0: With with TVs. I'm
2: not even sure why you had to leave the ship. You
0: could actually see the person on the other end.
2: There you go. It's
0: a miracle. Yeah. Um, So you can say that he did what duty demanded.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you could also say that he could have gotten to the Bradbury and then open up a channel and said, hey, uh, Picard, I know I just got off the ship. This thing just occurred to me. <laughs> right. Assuming they have communications on the Bradbury, which they right. do. Right. Um, but you can also say that he kind of pulled a Riker. He, he kept himself right where he wanted to be, regardless of the expectation of others. Yes. And that was what was interesting about it. And that's that other thing that I think parallels Deanna. You know, Deanna is constantly faced with this expectation of her mother. And just the sheer fact that she has to have that conversation with her mother over and over and over again is, is creating an annoying, well, certainly for the viewer of the show, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> if not for the character, if that character were real. Um, but... I, I like the way that this played that you can interpret Wesley's motivation both ways and that it, it works out either way for him. You know, he, he gets the promotion. That's really what he needed. He gets the respect of the crew around him. That's really what he needed. He gets to stay where it's comfortable. Sure. Maybe then he'll make a different decision next time or the, the next time after that. It's not like there's a shortage of opportunities for him. Um, but what did you make of that? Did, did, you, did you see it as them playing both sides of that idea, letting the audience guess about the motivation
2: there? Well, no. I mean, no? it's uh, – I'm going to jump to the next segment, and I shouldn't jump to the next segment, and I apologize. I don't feel like the writing on this episode was as strong as it could have been on any level. Sure. So, I, I mean, it's obvious that what Wes was doing was saving the day. It's also obvious that he's going to miss his opportunity to go ahead. Now, I like the fact that I mean, because it's Patrick Stewart, because it's Jean Luc Picard, because it is time for this character to grow a bit. That everything happens the way it happens, but it was, it didn't. Well, I, I won't say whether or not that worked for me. I will okay. say I, I did not okay. feel like I did not feel like there was anything ambiguous about the way it was written. I don't think. Everything about this episode was so earnest in a way that, no, when Wesley goes running back in, I think the reason Wesley goes running back in is because it really did just occur to him. And you're right. There are any number of ways that he could have taken care of it. But we're obviously not going to lose um, um, Will Wheaton at the end of this season. Right, so right, we might right. as well go ahead and figure out how we're going to keep him for yet another season.
1: I suppose I should have checked with John and Ken regarding my opening remarks. I did not realize our attitude of inclusiveness included the likes of Damon Tog.
2: Sometimes, John, we surprise the listener Mm. with our answers to the questions about messages, morals and meanings and whether or not an episode holds up. I would be surprised if you surprised me this time, but that's why they call them surprises. Uh, Menage a Troy, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned, John?
0: Top ten, Ken. Top (laughs) (laughs) ten.
2: Surprise! Yeah, okay.
0: (laughs) No. um, To uh, be clear,
2: you're not saying no, comma, you're saying No.
0: No, I'm saying no, it does not hold okay. up. I, I, unless you're a huge fan of on a Troy*. and yeah. if you are, bless you. Um, my problem is this, that it's not just because of a character. It, it's that Star Trek can sometimes find humor, but when it tries to do humor, it comes up short. And those are two very different things. So you yeah. we were talking earlier about how how badly the lying uh, – who was it that you mentioned? Oh, Picard, yes. right? Yes. When he yeah. lies,
2: when he lies to Luxana,
0: right? When when he lies, okay. But the problem is, everybody in this episode who has a scene where they have to lie or sort of skirt the truth or or just sort of twist things a little bit—they're all playing it broadly as if this is a farce. And yes, I get it. I know that this was written with that in mind. Um, but sometimes that format, or taking another format, doesn't always stick when you try to force it into the Star Trek world. When Star Trek finds humor, it tends to do it very well, and you it know, does that,
2: it does that in this episode. The thing at the mm-hmm. end, when Picard is doing all the is doing the Shakespeare salad that you mentioned earlier.
0: Oh sure, and yeah. honestly,
2: there is a laugh out loud moment when he when he says um, he uh, when he tells Crusher to to take him to Beta Z, and under his breath. Warp nine warp nine.: yeah, that's <laughs> right, funny, right and that that, that, actually, that made that me is. laugh when I heard that, and it was yeah it was it was a welcome relief to laugh at part of this episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is just a, a case where they were hoping that their wacky character would carry the episode mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't. you've got to have more there, and and you've got to have a realistic hook for you to really buy the character. Yeah, And that, that doesn't happen here. So uh, I, I pose it to you, Ken.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, it no, it's, no, not, not, not no. for a moment. I, I do feel like we maybe, we did do, we spent so much time talking about how toxic the relationship is with Waxana and Deanna. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we should talk about the fact that Waxana was willing to sacrifice herself. She was yes, willing yeah. to sacrifice herself to save those other two people. And that is a commendable thing about her. Now, of yeah. course... It is Star Trek, with the exception of uh, blonde woman, whatever, with mm-hmm. the exception yeah. of her. We're not going to lose a character. We might lose a character for a season, but they're going to come back. We're not going to kill a character and we're not we're not going to let Deanna's mother go off in, you know, indentured servitude to a Ferengi forever. I mean, we know yeah. that's not how the episode's going to end. But I mean, as long as we're saying, OK, well, they were writing through all of these motions. She does sacrifice herself for the good of others. And that's, mm. you know, that's, that's, that's a, a commendable thing. Uh, no, the episode doesn't hold up. Not, not, for, uh, not for almost a second. There's one second. And I don't know if you want to talk about messages. I will say the one thing that I found redeeming in this episode, mm-hmm. in addition to Patrick Stewart being funny at the end of it, because he is and he was, and, you know, mm. when he gets to choose scenery, he'd choose it like a pro. Um, there, there's a fantastic thing where they're like, okay, so, so we have to find these people. So everybody get to work on finding these people. And Data says, do you wish to leave Orbit, sir? And Picard looks at him and says, not until we have some place to go. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> that honestly yeah. was brilliant yep. to me because, you know, there's the whole when in danger, when in doubt, uh, run in circles, scream and shout kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Well, right. I think we've talked about that before. There was actually a line one time where somebody said, well, you have to do something. Well, not until you actually know what it is you have to do. And I really love that. That was one of those we used to talk about gems. That was a wonderful gem in this episode. Just the whole. Do you want to get out of here Uh, and go where? (laughs) Ah, yes, yes. Good point, sir. That's well done. Um, That's about the only message that I could that I could even begin to think about taking from this episode. Um, So, so, uh, so we've established that it doesn't. The episode as a whole doesn't show up. Do you have other messages you would like to see uh, pulled out, sir?
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things here. I mean, okay. um, the what we explore every time we have and Indiana stories it is not necessarily a message, but there is a theme, and the theme that keeps getting hammered is family. And not that there's a grand statement here about family, but but this one seems to be more about personal identity and independence. And again, it's parallel to Wesley, Indiana. These are people who find ways to express what they want, what what their identity and their independence means to them, mm-hmm. and that's great. Okay, you know, it, it, maybe not the best episode to play that out in, but it, at the very least, with Wesley, he's got these great moments that really push that character forward. Um, but the other message that I found here is that. You know, you can't own or shape someone else's happiness. That kind of refers to the last thing that I was talking about. But very specifically with Waxana, she cannot define happiness for Diana. It's completely inappropriate for her to even try to do so. Um, Picard or Beverly or Starfleet Academy can't define happiness for Wesley. This is a journey that he takes on his own terms. Mm-hmm. So I, I think those are a couple of things that I pulled out of it that um, – you know, they, they don't redeem the episode as a production, but at least there's a, there's an idea, there's a thought there behind it that resonates with the characters.
2: You're kind of making me think, I mean, another message that you could take from what's going on with Loxana is you can't actually base your own happiness on someone else or how you want someone else to be. You can't center your happiness on how you want another person to be. Um, Loxana wants Deanna to get married. She wants Deanna to have a kid she wants i mean she 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 wants what she wants for diana she says but it's obvious she's not going to be happy until she gets what she wants for diana except even that message is kind of lost because at the end of it it's like oh well you know i mean it, it ends with the it ends with the laugh or it ends with the discomfort around loxana it doesn't end yeah. it doesn't end on her actually being concerned or her actually being worried or her actually being tortured at all she spends 45 minutes you know just just hating how things are for her daughter and that's all forgotten at the very end of it yeah um and so yeah. i guess you could do the whole you know maybe you could you could say there's a lesson here about not not pinning your happiness on someone else's behavior except that i mean all of that gets washed away uh, with the goofy little get me out of here you know <laughs> right kind of right. thing
0: yeah, yeah, it's true. So uh, maybe at the very end, this is one of those times where we find an episode that didn't really resonate with us, but <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the messages are actually okay. And, and, and whatever is at the heart of it uh, was all right. And maybe in that case, we say that
2: that aspect of it does hold up. Here's another thing we can say. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM, that is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com.
0: Next week, Transfigurations.
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The Council on Diversity and Inclusion has this important message. Just because someone has always disappointed, does not mean they always will. Have you hugged the Ferengi today? and transmission.